You are listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. Good evening. Every human desire or need has both an intended use and fulfillment and a corrupted use and fulfillment. For example, we have uh, the human desire or need for food. The intended usage of that desire is nourishment, to give us energy, all that. But the corrupted fulfillment of that leads to gluttony, health problems, when we abuse that uh, intended use of that. We also have, for example, like health. Health is intended to, you know, give us the energy we need to live and have a productive life. But even that can be corrupted into body image problems, eating disorders, plastic surgery. Another example, we have leisure. The intended purpose of leisure is to give us a day of rest, but that can be corrupted to being a lifestyle in itself where you live just to do nothing and it becomes its own pursuit. And maybe the biggest example of this most clearly is sex, that there's an intended purpose for that, but the corrupted fulfillment of that is so far from the intended purpose that C.S. Lewis says it's not even recognizable. So when you uh, corrupt the use of food, I mean, it still resembles food and eating, but I mean, sex can get so weird that we're not even going to go there, but we just know how corrupted that has become because of our sinful nature. And so every human need or desire has an intended use or fulfillment and also a corrupted way that it can be fulfilled through sin. Now we also have a basic human desire to be connected with God. Not everyone would agree with this, that this is a basic human desire. Anthropologically speaking, every culture and every time period has worshipped something. They've come up with some sort of God, something to worship because of that human longing to be connected with God. Now people try to explain that away and saying something like religion comes from maybe an evolutionary trait that if you have hope in something, that gets passed on through evolution or something like that. Sometimes people say that people created religions to explain their world when they didn't understand it, and now that we do, we don't need it. And this is uh, chronological snobbery is what that's called. That we're so advanced now, and people back then, they were so simple and didn't understand anything. And that's really a circular argument, because if, you're saying religion was created to uh, explain the world, then, I mean, it just kind of goes in circles because then you're coming up with a reason to explain religion and its influence on the world. I mean, so there's all these uh, attempts to discredit the idea that there's a basic human longing and desire to be connected with God. And so you could look at those other things and there's holes in that, or we could, maybe for the sake of argument, say that, the Bible is true and that through sin and through corruption, we've been disconnected from God and that explains our longing 
for a connection with God, which is why every culture and every time period has worshipped something. And that seems to make the most sense. So we have this human desire to connect to God, but that can be, like anything else, that human desire can be fulfilled as it's intended, or it can be fulfilled in a corrupted way. And when we read in First John today, it brings up these two ideas of the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, or sometimes it's translated the spirit of deceit, which I think maybe is a little easier to understand. So we can attempt to connect to God through the spirit of truth or the spirit of error because we have that. Now the problem is there are many, many philosophies, worldviews, or they even came up with this new word, life stance, that tries to explain or give that, fulfill that uh, need to be connected to God in a corrupted way. That doesn't really connect you with God because there's all this spiritual warfare and stuff that we'll look at uh, through our text today. But what happens is this idea of the spirit of error that we'll explore is really to keep people from turning to God, to continue in really what becomes worship of self, or that can tempt Christians, people who worship the true God, to turn away from that and doubt things or, you know, wherever that leads. So there's all these things in the world that try to give us a corrupted fulfillment of our desire to connect with God. And many, many people fall under that. And so this is a spiritual battle. It's not flesh and blood, the Bible says. It's the powers of the air and principalities. It's spiritual. And in order for any spiritual battle, we need to practice discernment, in which we could define as the ability to decide between truth and error and right and wrong, to test the spirits, it says in First John, and figure out what's behind all this. What is the spirit, the Bible says, that's behind all these different worldviews and philosophies and how they don't really connect us with the true God. They're essentially a worship of self. So we need to exercise discernment to see what is behind all these things. So we can be connected and reconciled to God as intended through what we'll see we'll call the spirit of truth because that's the language in First John today. Or we can take the corrupted version and follow the spirit of error. And today that's the big idea is looking at these two things the spirit of truth, and the spirit of error. Or we could, the big idea really is in verse 1 of chapter 4, where it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we're going to look at what does it mean to test the spirits, what's going on behind all these things in this spiritual battle that we fight to that tries to lead us to these spirits of error, to turn and uh, essentially worship ourselves. So before we jump into this, I just want to preface this, this message today and to say, you know, we worship, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and strength. And so some messages or some sermons are to get you to worship the Lord your God with all your heart. So you're supposed to feel something. For example, a couple weeks ago we talked about being God's children. That's more like we should feel something. Sometimes it's about worshiping the Lord your God with all your strength. So the point is to get you to do something. Like last week when we talked about loving each other. The idea is to do something. But we also need to love the Lord our God with all of our mind. And today is about loving God with all our mind. It's a lot of mental things and it can get kind of... I mean, you can dig really far into this stuff and it's kind of mind-blowing. I geek out over all this. I mean, I find it very, uh, very interesting. Because being before I became a Christian... I followed the spirit of error, as everybody did, 
And now to see kind of the curtain pull back and see what's behind all that, it blows my mind all the time. So we're, we're loving the Lord our God with our minds tonight. So you've got to put on your thinking caps, and it's Sunday night, and uh, it's evening, and we want to shut down, but this is love the Lord your God with all your mind. So we have spiritual warfare, different spirits that are battling for who we're going to turn to, the spirit of truth or the spirit of error. So everybody has picked a side. There's only two sides. There's no neutral position. And everyone has picked a side. So we need to think about what side of this battle are you on. There's a war going on out there. And everyone has to pick a side. God needs a hero. Anytime we talk about spiritual warfare, I want to put on Batman voice because it sounds really intense. I'm not the hero Gotham deserves. Uh, So that completely distracted what I was trying to say. But there's a war going on out there. Uh, Spiritual war for for our souls. Uh, Yeah, That's probably all the Batman voice I'll do, but you never know. I might feel it. Uh, Okay, so before we dig in, now let's, saying all that, uh, that we have a spiritual desire to connect with God and we can go the right way or the wrong way, I just want to read this whole section because I'm going to pull out some different ideas uh, because John writes kind of circular sometimes. So let's just read chapter 4 of verse John, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so there's our spirit of truth and spirit of error. So first we're going to look at what is the spirit of error and see some of the things going on behind all these different worldviews, philosophies, life stances. Uh, So first, what's the spirit of error? That tells us in verse 3, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So that's the definition of the spirit of Eris, the spirit of the Antichrist. So this is not the Antichrist, you know, the end times Antichrist. It's the spirit of that. So in order to understand the spirit of the Antichrist, who is the Antichrist? Just briefly, the Antichrist is an end times figure who is, it's not anti like he's against, but he's a false Christ. He sets him up as a deceiver and people start to worship him as God because that's what he asks. And through all these lying wonders and signs, the Bible says, that he'll do that. So the Antichrist is not, a, not necessarily against Christ, but a false Christ, a deceiver. That he wants people to worship him as God. So the spirit of the Antichrist is that same idea. It's not the Antichrist, the guy, whoever that ends up being. It's in that spirit. Something that is trying to turn you away from the real Christ and follow these false things. And what it is, is idolatry, because the Antichrist becomes an idol. People worship him as God. And we, the spirit of the Antichrist is all about that. It's about idolatry. It's about getting you to worship 
someone or something besides Jesus Christ, the true God. And we have idols today. It's not We don't sit, sit around the table and look at our little Buddha statues, but we have our own idols. A lot of the things I mentioned at the beginning can be idols, like food, health, sex, leisure. And anything that becomes the top of our life, that we pursue that over everything else, becomes an idol. Uh, for example, like let's just say, for example, if food is an idol, you turn to food for comfort, you turn to food for celebration, and you turn to food uh, for anything. I mean, when that's the top of your life, that's an example of an idol. Okay? We talked about sex is a very common idol. Money is a very common idol. And all idols require you to make a sacrifice. Okay? So if food is your idol, you're going to sacrifice your health, probably. Okay? So the spirit of the Antichrist wants people to turn to idols, because that's what the Antichrist does. He is the false idol, and the spirit of the Antichrist wants people to do that. They have the spirit of error. So who or what do you idolize? We all have, through our fallen nature, the propensity toward idolatry. And it's very important to think about what do we tend to put at the top of our life? What do we make sacrifices for? And what do we turn to instead of God in good times, in the good times, in the bad times? I don't feel like singing. Uh, Great. Uh, so, I, you know, I probably shouldn't do that because it, it, it's distracting, but whatever. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, because we were talking about idolatry, and now we're thinking about, I love you just the way you are. Uh, all right. So, idolatry. Yeah, that's the spirit of the Antichrist wants you to turn to something to find fulfillment, to point your life towards besides Jesus. Okay, so that's the spirit of error. The, the idea behind that is a false idol. And I think almost all idols, from you know, my thinking on it, almost always ends up becoming yourself underneath all of that. You are the number one false idol when you worship yourself. We'll look at that more in a minute. Uh, so that's what the spirit of error is. Now how do you discern the spirit of error? How do you tell discerning again means telling right from wrong, uh, truth from lies? How do you tell what's the spirit of error? That's also in verse 3. Here's the big one. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. It's, it's almost like Dave and I planned this by going over kind of the same stuff. Yeah. Uh, like we talked about this morning, if, someone, if there's something that doesn't point you to Jesus Christ as God and Savior and Lord of all creation, that's the spirit of error. And there's all sorts of types of that. Also in verse 5, how do you discern the spirit of error? is they are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. That's another way to discern the spirit of error. They're of the world, and the world hears them. I mean, it's really easy to get sucked into these ideas, and that's what everyone has happened to everyone who doesn't follow Jesus as Lord and Savior and God, because it's easy to hear that. It makes sense to us more than Christianity. Christianity really doesn't make sense. It's kind of contrary to everything we think as people, and through our fallen natures, that God would love us no matter what and send His Son to die for us. And we don't have to do anything for that, because that's not how we love. We love by making, you know, someone has to prove themselves to us. So everything about Christianity is really contrary to what we think as fallen humans. And so the spirit of error feeds into that. It makes sense to people. That's why it's so attractive, and why people fall into these different philosophies and worldviews, because... It's of the world, so the world understands it. And like an example, here's one of the worst places to be is 
tomorrow morning, go to a college. And here's what I always heard about Monday morning in college. Hey, bro, I had a 12-pack of Keystone. I had six shots of tequila. And people start bragging about how much things they had to drink in the weekend. And people listen to that because it's a worldly thing. Or if you're like, hey, man, I went to church and we had three baptisms. and Get out of here, man. If people don't want to hear that, people want to hear worldly things because they're of the world. That makes sense to people. Stuff about Jesus, people don't, people don't like hearing that. People don't want to hear that because it points out sin. And there's you know, a whole bunch of stuff in there, but people tend to follow these spirits of error because it speaks to our language as fallen humans. It speaks to our sinful nature, and so we understand it. Now, here's what are the common spirits of error. This is, again, a lot of things going on in the uh, world, different ways of looking at stuff, and we want to be able to identify what's behind all these things. What are some common spirits of error? So here's one, secular humanism. Yeah, that's a very common spirit of error, something that keeps you away from turning to Christ and turning to yourself, really. Now what secular humanism is, is now we have atheism, which is the belief in no God. Secular humanism is that to the extreme. And it tends to be most atheists are also secular humanists. And what it is, it's not just saying there's no God, but that there is no God, and this influences every part of our lives. And here's how they define it on secularhumanism.org. It's a comprehensive, non-religious life stance incorporating a naturalistic philosophy, a cosmic outlook rooted in science, and a consequential, consequential ethical system. It's atheism taken to becoming an entire worldview, or they call it a life stance. And so what, I mean, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of things here that we could look into, but there's, you know, there's more stuff to talk about. But here's basically about secular humanism, atheism. I used to be an atheist. I mean, it takes really a lot of faith to be an atheist or a secular humanist. And I used to, and a lot of atheists do kind of take this, position of superiority, that I don't believe in stuff unless there's proof of it, and that kind of thing. But it takes a lot of faith to believe that this whole planet could come out of nothing, that all life could come out of nothing. And that takes a lot of faith. And there's no scientific 100% irrefutable proof of that. So in some way, there's faith involved there. Um, And what these things end up becoming, it's kind of a way to explain... Uh, life without religion, which is a way that people discredit religion by saying religion was created to explain life. And science has almost taken that position. And now, oh man, here's a Christian talking about science. So Jesus rode a dinosaur. No, yeah. but that people hate hearing, hearing about Christians talking about science because we don't know what we're talking about. But um, here's what science has become somewhat of a philosophy. Because when you start to use science to answer the question of why, it's not a science, it's a philosophy. And that's what secular humanists do. Is science becomes not just the how things happened, but why did things happen. And that's not science, that's philosophy, and that's speculation, but it's under this false terminology of science, so it seems like there's no faith involved, but there's a ton of faith. Uh, and they also, it says it's rooted in science, and also a consequential ethical system. This is talking about the concept of moral relativism, that there's no morality that's uh, consistent between all cultures and 
things like that, that there's no ethical code or conduct, that it all depends on the situation. This is a very popular idea today in the spirit of error, that there's no actual truth, there's no right and wrong. It all depends on the situation. And the problem with that is relativity relativizes itself, because to say everything is relative is not a relative statement. Yeah, that's an absolute statement. So there's a lot of faith involved in being a secular humanist. And this is a very common spirit of error. It's becoming more and more common. Again, it's connected to atheism, but it's atheism to the extreme that this decides how you see the whole world. And really, it's the philosophy that's taught in schools. It's all about being a humanist and where all there is and this world is all there is and there's nothing else. And so kids grow up thinking this. I work in a school. I see it. And uh, that's what it ends up becoming. So that's a very common spirit of error. Another common spirit of error is called moralistic therapeutic deism. A lot of fancy word. But this was coined by uh, two sociologists named Christian Smith and Melinda Lundquist Denton. And what they did, I mean, this has huge implications for raising our kids as Christians. They surveyed thousands of teenagers and asked them, what are your beliefs on God? And this was moralistic therapeutic deism is the phrase they came up with to explain what the vast majority of young people believe about God. So they asked them what they believe, and these five statements came up more than anything else. So here's the first one. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when he is needed to resolve a problem. Good people go to heaven when they die. Now, this sounds kind of nice, but this isn't Christianity. This could be any religion. Is what you know? These five beliefs. This is not Christianity. This is what the vast majority of young people believe about God. If they do believe in God, is those characteristics. So it's uh, moralistic. It's you're supposed to be good, not bad. Therapeutic. God can make you feel better sometimes, but you know it's not. He's not actively in your life. And deism. He's far away. And these five beliefs are what young people tend to hold about God. And here's when you think about this, it becomes kind of mind-blowing and makes me think about how I'm going to raise my kids. Because little kids always believe what their parents believe, and the rebellious time comes when they're a teenager. And I think a lot of parents would be happy if their kids believed this. If, they, if their kids were generally good people, if they believed there was a God out there, that good people would go to heaven. And when that's okay, that's not Christianity. That's something else. And that's a lot of ways what we teach in churches in America, you know, throughout the whole system, what do you learn in Sunday school, you know, that God loves you, be a good person. I mean, it's, you know, the intentions are all good, but a lot of times it comes off as not Christianity, but it's something else. And so if it's not about worshiping Jesus and being a sinner saved by grace and by repenting and giving your sin to Jesus, that's something else. And that's a spirit of error. It's very easy to believe that because that makes more sense to us than a God who would forgive us because we turn to him, not because we're good people or bad people. Um, a third spirit of error is spirituality. You know, this is a, just a vague, I'm a spiritual but not religious person. And it's, a, it's kind of a nice way to say you worship yourself and to take no, really no stance on anything 
uh, and feel better about yourself without having to do anything. Just this vague spirituality. And it's a, called a Starbucks religion because you pull anything you like out of different religions and kind of make your own custom religion. I like this about Buddhism, so I'll take that. I like this about Hinduism, so I'll take that. I like this about yoga, so I'll take that. And it's constructing this just a spiritual thing. And this is uh, also very common. Some studies have shown about three-fourths of all millennials call themselves spiritual but not religious. And this is, again, it connects with the earlier thing, moralistic therapeutic deism, because as I believe there's a God out there, but it's not the God, Jesus Christ, and it's really all about me. It's me connecting to God, tapping into the life force, you know, digging within myself to find God's essence inside me. That's what spirituality is all about. And it sounds all nice and tolerant, but it ends up becoming self-worship. Another common spirit of error is hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure. Just doing whatever you want as long as it makes you feel good. A lot of people follow this lifestyle. If it makes me feel good, if it makes me feel happy, then I'm going to do it. there's nothing wrong with pleasure in itself. God created pleasure. But hedonism is pleasure is your idol. And no matter, you're going to sacrifice anything, because idols require a sacrifice, in order to find pleasure through whatever means. And that's hedonism, very common spirit of error. Uh, we have also, spirit of error, other religions besides Christianity. Because they're all the same in that you save yourself. You're your own savior if God is going to accept you or allow you into heaven, it's because you've done enough good things to outweigh the bad things, or you've paid off your karmic debt by reincarnating and all these different ideas. But it comes down to you save yourself, which is another form of self-worship. Also, last one we'll talk about, the common spirit of error is nominal Christianity. And this is a big one, and I think maybe the most scary. A nominal meaning in name only. These are people who say that they're Christians, but it's in name only. And this is very, very common. And why this is dangerous is because this is one where you think you're worshiping the true God, Jesus Christ, but you're not. And let me explain this. Um, So Christianity is, it's about giving your life to Jesus and following Him. It's not just saying in your brain, you know, I believe there's Jesus and He died for my sins, so good, now I can do whatever I want. That's nominal Christianity. It's kind of believing you know, the basics, but not living it. And Jesus asks us to live it. He says to pick up your cross every day and follow him. He never said, just decide in your brain that I existed and you're good to go. And was following him. Uh, and this is one of the big reasons why I want to go through this study on First John, what it means to be a Christian, because here's some statistics. Um, it's estimated that about two-thirds of American adults are nominal Christians. Okay, two-thirds of the population of this country, adults, are people who say that they're Christians and believe that they're saved. This is the, the part about it that's sad, that makes me you know, want to, I don't know, it what made me want to study First John, because they think that they're saved, they think that they're following Jesus, but they're not. It's a spirit of error. Uh, they, well, let me just say uh, this also. Uh, this is, like Dave brought up today, earlier, In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, 
Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And he could be talking about a lot of different people groups, including nominal Christians, people that say, Lord, Lord, but don't do what God requires of them. And I think a, a, a cause of this is a confusion between the doctrine of justification versus sanctification. A justification is all, Jesus did it all. He paid the price for our sins. He went to the cross to be a perfect sacrifice to pay for our sins. That is all Jesus. That has nothing to do with us. And by placing your trust in that is how you become a Christian. How the Holy Spirit enters you and changes your life. Now sanctification is what happens afterwards. That's your walk with Jesus in this life. Becoming more and more like Him as you go through every day, praying, reading the Bible, being obedient to the Holy Spirit, loving one another, loving Jesus, worshiping Him. And that takes obedience. I mean, the Holy Spirit works through you in that. But that isn't just saying, confusing the idea of justification, sanctification, tells you all I have to do is believe there is a Jesus out there and then I'm set. And before I completely became an atheist, that's what I believed. That's what I think a lot of people believe. I believe there's a Jesus, now I can do whatever I want. And even in biblical times, very common. That's in the book of Romans, Paul writes about that. And can we sin so grace may abound all the more? And he says, certainly not. And people have believed this for thousands of years about Jesus, that because God paid for our sins, we can just do whatever we want and not really worship Him, but just agree in our head that He existed. And that's nominal Christianity. And again, that's not salvation. That's a spirit of error. That's keeping us from turning to Jesus and giving our lives to Him because we think we're set. Um, so let me read. A person who does a lot of research on the, these types of things comes up with statistics. It's called George Barna. And let me just read a little quote why he says people become nominal or casual Christians. And he says, Casual Christianity is faith in moderation. It allows them to feel religious without having to prioritize their faith. Christianity is a low-risk, predictable proposition for this tribe, providing a faith perspective that is not demanding. A casual Christian can be all the things that they esteem. A nice human being, a family person, religious, an exemplary citizen, a reliable employee. And never have to publicly defend or represent difficult moral or social positions or even lose much sleep over their private choices as long as they mean well and generally do their best. From their perspective, their brand of faith practice is genuine, realistic, and practical. To them, casual Christianity is the best of all worlds. It encourages them to be a better person than if they had been irreligious, yet it is not a faith into which they feel compelled to heavily invest themselves. And so people follow this spirit of error because it's convenient. He says the best of both worlds. You get to say you're religious, that you believe in God, and maybe even makes you a better person in some ways, but you're really not committed to it. And it's, a lot of times people think maybe this is going to church. I go to church all the time, so I'm a Christian. That has nothing to do with it. It's, uh, maybe it's more about I do this and this and this, and maybe I'm a Christian, or maybe not even that. A lot of times, again, it's just belief. Because two-thirds, or I think it's, like 80% of this country, adult population, calls themselves a Christian, that's clearly not the case. I and mean, we can tell that just from looking at voting and statistics and all these things, that that's not really how it is. And so this is a huge spirit of error in this country. 
It, it looks very enticing. It's best of both worlds. I can be connected to God, supposedly, and not really change anything about my life. That's nominal Christianity. And again, this is a very dangerous spirit of error because people think that they're saved, that their eternal life is secured, but the guarantee of eternal life is the Holy Spirit living within you. And the Holy Spirit doesn't live within you until you turn to Jesus and repent of your sins. And it can be very dangerous. So that's, I think, if that's two-thirds of American adults fall in this category, it should be something on our hearts and minds all the time. And probably not the Sunday night crowd, but I'm sure we all know people who might be in this category of the spirit of error. So these are some of the common spirits of error that I thought of. These life stances or philosophies or worldviews that people follow and that keeps them from turning to the true God, Jesus Christ, the spirit of error. And sort of to sum this all up, uh, let's talk about the church of Satan. Yeah, I looked this up a little bit. Now, the church of Satan, they don't worship Satan. That's a misconception. They're really atheists, but they, uh, they identify with Satan and his principles as an adversary and a mocker, and especially uh, in worship of self, because that's what Satan did. You know, our big spiritual enemy is all those things. So the church of Satan doesn't worship him because they're atheists. They don't believe in him, but they believe in what he stood for is really what it's all about. And what one of the, their high priests said this quote, that he doesn't want his followers to be atheists, but I-theists. Hey, that you are God, because that's what Satan was all about, is wanting to be God. Again, they don't believe in him, but they believe in that principle. Yeah, it's about wanting to be God. And, you know, at least they're honest about it. That's what these are all about. These spirits of error are empowered by Satan to be a way to worship yourself. That's what they all have in common. It essentially becomes self-worship. Yeah, you're your own savior. You decide what's right and wrong. And it's all about you and not about God. And so the spirit of error keeps people from seeing that. And that's what I never saw before I became a Christian. That's what I mean by it kind of pulls the curtains back. And you're like, whoa, yeah, what's behind all this? What are Test the spirits. Do not believe every spirit and test them whether they are of God. Because that's what's going on behind all this stuff. It's all about you either worship Jesus or really you worship yourself, but it's disguised in you know, nice packaging. And that's what it's all about. Just like uh, Satan, that's what he always stood for, is to be that. And these are just different manifestations of that belief to uh, cloud people from seeing the real, true God, Jesus Christ. So that's a lot of stuff. And like I said, this is a lot of mind stuff. Um, to help see the spirit of error. But why does it matter? Well, first, like I said, love God with all your mind. But I think for every one of us, I mean, there's more things than this. These are some of the most common. I think some of these become attractive for us. I know before I became a Christian, I would have probably leaned more to the secular humanist side. I thought this world is all there is, and I don't believe in anything because I'm so smart. You know, that kind of stuff. These different beliefs or maybe seem kind of like, hey, we could maybe fall into that, and almost combine them with Christianity, like the Judaizers did, and combine uh, Judaism and Christianity, and maybe we are tempted by hedonism to pursue pleasure. I mean, there's all these, just about knowing who you are spiritually, where do you tend to fall uh, because of your fallen nature? Also, like I mentioned, loved ones. Anyone who doesn't follow Jesus with their life as Lord and Savior follows some sort of spirit of error. 
And you're not going to logically reason anyone into believing in, in Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But this can maybe help open their eyes a little bit. And like I said, this was big for me, and it's for a lot of people, not everyone. Everyone has their different paths to God. Uh, but there's been a lot of things historically. Uh, like one example, there's these two guys. I don't have their names. But they decided if they could disprove the resurrection of Jesus and the conversion of Paul, that would disprove all of Christianity. So they went out and researched that to write books on both of those two things, and that would disprove all of Christianity. And they came back and said to each other, uh, what did you find? And they both found they couldn't disprove those things. Through investigating those, the resurrection of Jesus, the conversion of Paul, they realized, hey, this stuff holds up. It's not blind faith. And that's a big part. The Bereans in the book of Acts are commended for investigating everything and searching it out. And for some people, this is big. Other people's, other people's not so much. But in this world, when Christians are mocked, and called like stupid and not educated, and they believe in Jesus riding dinosaurs and stuff like that, to, to know these things, to be able to, in an apologetic sense, give a reason for the faith that's within us. It's not blind faith. It makes sense. And when you can see all the, the different ways the spirit of error works, it might be something that helps someone to open up their eyes a little bit and start to think about, okay, well, maybe they're onto something to investigate that. And so it can help with that. Um, so that's the big thing of the spirit of error. It's something that is, I mean, it all is essentially the same thing. It's about worshiping yourself rather than Jesus. That's its whole purpose because it's empowered by Satan, which is what he wanted. But enough about that because now spirit of truth. And this is the good one. Uh, so what is the spirit of truth? That's the other thing John brings up here. In verse 2, he explains what the spirit of truth is. He says, By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Okay, that's the spirit of truth. The things that point you to Jesus Christ as God and Savior. And notice he says, very important to John the Apostle, that Jesus has come in the flesh. And it's very important that Jesus came in the flesh. He mentions it a couple times in this letter, that Jesus came in the flesh. He's not just a spirit or an essence or something. He's God eternally, God the Son, who came to the earth in the flesh to add to his divinity, humanity, to be fully human and fully God. And that's very important to understanding Christianity. Jesus is fully human and fully God. He's not half and half. He's not one or the other. He's existed as God eternally, from eternity, eternity past, outside of time. He entered into human history to be a perfect sacrifice, to pay for the sins of humanity. Because we created sin, and we've been disobedient to God. We've disconnected ourselves from Him, and we still seek Him out. That's why all cultures have a religion. But there's nothing that's going to bring us and God together, except God Himself coming to be the sacrifice for sin because the wages of sin is death. Okay, nothing else could be a good enough payment to pay for the sins of the world. And that's why Jesus came to add to his divinity humanity, fully man and fully God. Theologically, this is called the hypostatic union. And give you some theological terms here. He's two natures in one person. And he still is fully man and fully God. When he ascended, he was still a person. When he comes back, he's fully man and fully God. He's not some spiritual being out there. He is fully God, 
but he's also fully human. So he could pay for our sins, but also have the authority to forgive them. Because only God can forgive sins. And so anything that points us to that, that's the spirit of truth. That's the only thing that's any different than anything else. And this was huge to me in becoming a Christian. It's the only thing that's any different than anything. Like I've been saying, all this other stuff is basically the same thing. It's worshiping yourself. And Christianity is the only thing that's different that says God loves you enough that He came to die for you to pay for your sins. You don't have to do it because you're the problem. You can't fix your own problem or else there probably wouldn't be a problem. I mean, it just makes logical sense. And that's what, to me, is really huge about Christianity. It just it makes sense. It's not just blind faith. Uh, I don't get it, but whatever, I believe it. It, it makes sense when you investigate it. Um, so the spirit of truth is Jesus coming in the flesh. And now what happens after that, because Jesus died for our sins, to pay for our sins, he doesn't leave us without a helper, he says. He leaves the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity and enters us, and he's what causes us to walk with Jesus every day, to be more and more like him, and to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And this is the work part. This is what being a real Christian is rather than a nominal Christian, is that the Holy Spirit enters you, and now you're a changed person uh, through his work. Yeah, that's what the spirit of truth is. Anything that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now, how do you discern the spirit of truth? Because we're talking about discerning, telling right from wrong, truth from error. You can discern the spirit of truth uh, also by verse 2, by knowing if it's confessing Jesus has come in the flesh and is the Son of God, a fully man, fully human, or fully man, fully God. Also in verse 6, it says, We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I've been saying a couple times, Christianity makes sense, but that's primarily through the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, here's what I think happens a lot of times. This was me before I became a Christian. I thought I understood Christianity. And I think that's what a lot of people who don't follow, they think they get it. But the problem is, you can't, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, Paul says you can't know the spirit of something unless that spirit is inside you too. So, I mean, you can get it maybe in an intellectual sense, but you're not going to get it in the same way as if the Holy Spirit is living inside you. And that's when we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. And takes the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's like I said, this can help lead people in certain directions, but the Holy Spirit is what's going to do the work. And that's why we need to be praying for people we love to, that the Holy Spirit would cause them to see. Because, I mean, I could say all this, and probably a lot of people, most people are going to say, no, I'm wrong, for whatever reasons. Maybe because if you're not of God, you're probably not going to understand fully what he's saying. And that's uh, part the nature of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So a big part of the Spirit of truth, following the Spirit of truth, being a Christian is saying Jesus is God. And not just saying that, but trusting in that, giving your life to that, that He's God and He can forgive sins and He gives the Holy Spirit to enter into you. You can't say that except through the work of the Holy Spirit. But again, these can help maybe help lead people in that direction to see what's going on behind these things. Uh, now, why should you follow the spirit of truth rather than the spirit of error? The spirit of error, like I said, they're very attractive. They kind of make sense to us. 
Even we kind of probably feel pulled in a certain direction to that. So why follow the spirit of truth? That's in verse 4. It says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This is... This is always the good part. I mean, whenever you're reading through the Bible, there's all this bad stuff and sin and spirit of error. Then there's always something that's like, yeah, here we go. Here's the gospel. And we are of God. This is why to follow the spirit of truth. It says that we are of God. And this is the desire that everyone is longing for. That's why there's all the different religions in every culture today, every culture throughout history. That's why there's been that, because we all want to be of God. We have that desire and that longing that makes us want to be connected to that. And all those other things have been created to fulfill that in a corrupted way. And also, uh, the spirit of error is... I forgot where I was going to that. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, We are of God because He... This is the, the only... This is the intended way to fulfill that relationship, that desire that every human has. And sometimes people try to hide that through, you know, whatever, through sin primarily. And people try to hide that, but everyone has a desire to be connected to God. There's no real way to do it except by God coming to you. And we're disconnected to God because of us. So by God coming to the earth as Jesus Christ, that's how we become connected to God. That's why one reason to follow the spirit of truth. And because we become of him, we become connected to him that desire becomes fulfilled as it was intended. He also says, you're of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because we've overcome them. Them, he's talking about the spirit of error. All that stuff that we just talked about, we have overcome that because Jesus overcame it. By defeating death and defeating the grave, by living a perfect life without sin, without ever following the spirit of error or the spirit of deceit, without ever doing that, uh, Jesus lived a perfect life to die, to be a perfect sacrifice to us. But then, he didn't stay dead. He resurrected to prove he is God. He overcame all of that. There is no spirit of error in him. He has overcome it. Because he's overcome it, we can overcome it too. You know, the Bible talks about baptism being like identifying with Jesus' death, going under the water, and then coming out to identify with his resurrection. So our old spiritual nature that wants to follow the spirit of error, dies with Jesus when we choose to follow him. And when the Holy Spirit enters into us. And we, because Jesus overcame that, we can overcome it as well. We don't have to have these false fulfillments of this desire to connect with God. We can actually do it because Jesus did it for us. He also says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And he who is in the world is what we've been talking about, the spirit of error. That For right now, in a figurative sense, Satan is in control of the world. And God really is. But the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of error, is really what people follow mostly for you know whatever purposes. But he who is in you, the true God, the Holy Spirit is greater than all of that. Um. And again, this is the gospel. This is the gospel message. Jesus died to pay for our sins, and now God is living within us. And this is amazing. It doesn't. We're not doing all the work. We hardly do any of the work. Basically, all we have to do is listen, and that's sanctification, being obedient. The Holy Spirit tells us what to do. That's why it's different than all these other things 
because it's all up to us. And again, Jesus defeated death in the grave. He's greater than anything that is in the world. He's the only thing different from all the spirits of error. He's the only thing that gives you any answers besides yourself. And I don't know why yourself could ever be the answer because yourself is the problem. And so there's a spiritual battle going on, a fighting for who are you going to turn to? Are you going to turn to the spirit of truth to be fully connected with God as intended, the only way that's possible, or the corrupted version by following the spirit of error? And that's the spiritual battle that's going on. And that's why we need to be discerning to not fall into those things because false teachers come along and tell you those things, you know, it's okay to be those things, to follow those things. As long as you have God somewhere in there, you know, you're probably okay. False teachers come and say all these different things uh, to, because they're following the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of uh, deceit. He's, but a lot of people follow, again, the majority of people follow those things, but do they really bring any happiness? Do they bring any contentment, any joy overall? And I think it's, it's interesting. If you talk to anybody who is a born-again Christian, who's been born spiritually, given their sins to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is living in them, no one ever says, I regret that. And everyone, that changed my life. I used to do all these things, and it was destroying me, and now I don't. And Jesus did it. And sometimes it's hard work. A lot of times it is. But no one says they regret turning to Jesus. Because he fulfills that desire that we all have, to be connected with God. But people do regret following the other things. That's a lot of times why people turn to Jesus, because we've tried out a lot of these different spirits of error, and it doesn't lead anywhere. And so there's, that's one point of it. And that's, a, I think, a powerful thing, that no real born-again Christian with the Holy Spirit living in them would say they regret that. It's the only true path to happiness, content, contentment. So either all Christians are delusional, which a lot of people would say we are, or maybe there's something about that. Maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe that is the thing that's different. If you're a secular humanist, I mean, does it make you happy to think that you're an accident and you have no purpose and that everything here is just a coincidence? Uh, if you're subscribed to moralistic therapeutic deism, does it really make you happy to think God doesn't care about you, that he's off somewhere far away and it's all up to you? And if you're a spiritual person, vague spirituality, are you happy to think that you have no idea if you're good enough to be accepted by whatever it is you worship? Um, if you are hedonistic, if you follow the pursuit of pleasure, and does it really make you happy to think the best this life has to offer is to ignore your problems through the pursuit of things like sex or drugs? Hey, if you worship another god, does it really make you happy to think you might not be good enough to save yourself? You might not follow the rules closely enough? You might not do enough good things? And... You never know. There's no guarantees in that. If you're a nominal Christian, does it make you happy to think you are taking advantage of God's grace by paying lip service to what Jesus did? None of these things lead anywhere. They lead to the same problems. Nothing gets fulfilled because that's the desire we're looking to fulfill. It's being connected with God. Sometimes people call it the God-shaped hole. That's in all of us because of sin. And sin disconnects us from God. And following all those other things doesn't fill that hole. That's why there's still the emptiness. That's why people go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to try to find happiness, because they're trying to fill that with something else. And it doesn't work. Now, people may say, yeah, I'm happy following those things. And, but, I don't know, it, 
I followed those things. We all did before we came to Jesus. That's why we turned to Jesus. And that's another thing the spirit of error does is trying to make you feel happy doing those things. But we all know it doesn't really fulfill those things, the desire to uh, follow God. Hey, it's like the illustration of that we're in a, a prison and the door's open because Jesus opened the door. And, but the cell is really comfortable, so we don't want to leave. And that's what it is to follow the spirit of error. It's entrapment. It's enslavement to whatever thing that we're following. It's not leaving because we think these things are enjoyable. Uh, and again, that was me before I knew Jesus. Yeah, I was an atheist. I wouldn't say I was a full-out hedonist, but you know, I kind of lived that. If, if it felt good, you know, do it. Why not? What's it going to hurt? Um, at one point, I would have probably fallen into the moralistic therapeutic deism. Hey, that God is somewhere out there, but you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. At one point, I would have been a nominal Christian, you thinking my sins were forgiven when they weren't because I hadn't given my life to Jesus. I mean, I, I get really amped up about this and geeked up because this was so influential to me. And seeing, again, the curtain pulled back and what's going on behind all this stuff. And it's all the same thing. And so are you able to discern that, to tell the difference between truth and lies, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error? And it's all about Jesus. If it's not saying Jesus is God, it's saying you are God. And I don't think anyone would want to say that, but that's what it ends up becoming. Um, so this is what the spiritual battle is. And a lot of times, I think we, people get hung up on some things that aren't really spiritual battles. Like, I saw the video on the internet. Has anyone seen? There's this lady who has a can of monster, and she's like, these claws mean 666 in Hebrew and all that. And uh, when you drink it, there's a cross in the O when it goes upside down. And this is how Satan gets into our households. And, you know, I don't, I don't know about that. Yeah, it's all, you know, all these, or we can't, can't watch Harry Potter because they're witches. I mean, I, that's not the spiritual battle. The spiritual battle is all these very attractive, enticing lifestyles, ways to look at life that keep people from turning to Jesus. I mean, do the little slashes in the can of monster mean 666? I don't think it really matters. I don't think anyone's going to turn from God because the little slashes in the monster could mean 666. People don't turn to God because of these types of things, because of these worldviews or these philosophies that tell you you don't need God. You are God, and you can figure it out yourself because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and people like me. That's some Stuart Smalley right there. <clears throat> SNL, early 90s. Uh, yeah. So discern that. And again, I think especially, you know, raising kids, Adrian and I talked about this throughout the week. I mean, Nora's going to be two on Friday. We have little John who's two weeks old. And, you know, it's probably going to be pretty easy when they're kids because they'll just do what we say. But when they're teenagers, you know, what's going to be attractive to them? Are we going to be able to see, you know, discern the spirit of truth and the spirit of error to see are they really turning to Jesus as God or maybe these other beliefs are kind of starting to influence them? Yeah, I mean, we're, I would guess, Sunday night Christians are, you know, I mean, it doesn't mean anything, but most likely I'm preaching to the choir in, in a sense. But again, thinking about our kids when they, I mean, you know, I'm the youth leader and, you know, sometimes parents talk to me and wonder what happened to their kids. I mean, it's this kind of stuff. This is the spiritual battle, the spiritual warfare. These worldviews that get people to turn to themselves instead of turning to Jesus, following the spirit of error. But remember, it has to be about Jesus. He's the only answer to anything. He's the only thing that's any different. 
and test the spirits. If it's not saying Jesus is God, it's saying you are God. And we worship Jesus because, again, he paid for our sins. He's fully man, fully God, came in the flesh out of love for us so that we could have our sins forgiven and have that desire to be connected to God fulfilled in its intended way. And not through all those other different things, but how it was intended to be connected with the one true God. And so that's why Jesus is the spirit of truth. You know, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Uh, just that you, I mean, I followed a lot of these different things and I thought I was doing the right thing and I thought I was so good and I could take care of things myself. But Jesus, I'm thankful to you that you never, you didn't hold that against me. When I turned to you, you just accepted me because you already loved me enough to die for me. And it's not just me, Lord, but it's the whole world. That you love everybody in this world enough that you would send your son to die for our sins so that we could be connected with you, God. And we could be connected with you in the way that we are supposed to be, not through these false worldviews or philosophies. Lord, I pray for all of us here that we would have a spirit of discernment. Um, we would be able to tell what's truth from error, what's right from wrong, and see what's going on behind all these different things so that uh, we can help loved ones, we can help raise our kids, and so that we can just further glory in just how awesome you are, God, that this all makes sense and that you are the true God and uh, none of these other things lead anywhere. So thank you, Lord, and uh, I just praise you in your name. Amen. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or give us a call at 800-357-4226. There's also a video of today's teaching available on our website, theriverchristianfellowship.com, and then click the media button. Don't forget to catch the evening service at 7 p.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship live on CSN.